You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. My name is Mark Shaw, and uh, there she is, my wife Karen, and uh, please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We're going to take communion in a couple of minutes. We had a guest speaker a few weeks ago who looked at the scripture in Mark chapter 5 about the man named Legion. And uh, today we're going to do a little bit of a part two of that outcast. And I'm going to share a little bit of my experience as a missionary. I felt like maybe I should have come up here and introduced myself. Hello, my name is Mark Shaw. I was in Germany. But I decided to not start off that way. Uh, and hopefully inspire you with this lesson uh, that Jesus really was the ultimate missionary. He really did set an example of what it, what it meant. Uh, my background, uh, I was born in Germany, uh, as you can tell by my accent. I spent the first 12 years in Germany. Uh, my dad uh, was from Oklahoma. My mom was from Berlin, uh, Germany. She was born in Berlin, Germany. Um, and uh, I had grown up there for the first 12 years, and we moved to the States. Uh, we moved to Boulder, Colorado when I was uh, 12 years old, and our family was sort of a church, church-going to a degree, but um, that's just to a degree, if you know what I mean. Uh, when I was 15 in Boulder, Colorado, one of my closest friends, uh, someone named Randy Saunders, who uh, a few people here know. Tim knows him, and uh, Peter Huang uh, knows him uh, from MIT. Uh, Randy became a Christian, and uh, he was invited by Bruce Evans. Some of you may know Bruce Evans uh, at the Denny's. Randy was was invited as a bell as a as a, as a busboy, and Bruce kind of pressured him into coming to church. <laughs> come on, you can go. Randy was shy, didn't want to come. Called him, kept pestering him. He finally came and his life changed. And then he invited me just a few months later uh, to go to a campus ministry event. Uh, I was uh, where Willie Flores spoke. I was pretty open-minded. I was ready to make some changes, got on my bike, put on my Sunday Sunday clothes and my bicycle and brought my other buddy along with me, Eric Empson. And we rode our bikes uh, half an hour to church on Sunday mornings after that. Started reading my Bible also like immediately after that, and it kind of blew my mind uh, that I could understand it. I was kind of amazed. I did not expect to be able to actually understand what the Bible says. Um, I was baptized a couple of months later in November of 81, and uh, it's during that time that uh, Tim Priestley and I met uh, there in the youth ministry. Uh, we became best friends, and uh, in 2005, he invited me to come out to L.A., and go into business uh, with him and build a build a company together. Um, when I was 17, a minister from Boston, from a large church in Boston that was really growing fast, uh, and this was kind of you know you you this was the fastest growing church uh, in in the churches of Christ. Uh, there was a list that came out once a year. The uh, all the churches that are having more than 100 baptisms in a year. And that was kind of, uh, it was, you know, very important list. You, you kind of were excited if you could be on that list. And this church uh, was one of the only ones that just kept growing, and not just 100, but the next year 200, the next year 400, the next year 600. And you're like thinking, this is the only church that did that. What are they doing? And this minister came out to the Rocky Mountain Evangelism Seminar, and he spoke. 
1983, I heard him, and uh, he basically gave the lesson um, about missionaries. I think he uh, preached about the Lord of the Harvest uh, from, um, I believe, Matthew 9? I'm not sure. Matthew 9, I believe. Um, and he said, nationals, you need to go home. Were you born in a different country? Go home. There's a reason you were born there. There's a reason you speak that language. Go home. And uh, <laughs> it was inspiring and daunting at the same time. And that evening, that day, I made the decision. Okay, I was born in Germany. Speak the language. Um, I'm really more American than German, but I'll go home. And I remember standing up. Uh, you know, you kind of stand up after these things sometimes and you share, hey, you know, how, how was the event for you? Well, that night we had a youth ministry event, uh, and, uh, you know, and afterwards people shared, you know, what they'd gotten out of the conference, and I stood up and shared, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go to Germany. I made the decision today. And that's kind of a, kind of a freaky thought, kind of a radical thought. Now I look back, uh, if my kids would make a decision like that, how would I feel? Um, but I felt like, you know, it was satisfying. I'm doing the right thing. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing the right thing. And um, moved to San Francisco for missionary training. From there, I moved to Boston for missionary training. And from there, in 1991, moved to Berlin to help plant the church in, uh, in Berlin, uh, Germany. The wall had just come down a couple of years before that. So this was, uh, we planted the church. We started the church the same day that the Moscow church started on, I believe it was July 14th, 1991. And uh, I still remember the first service, still re- vividly recall all that. Um, by that time, 1991, it was a little bit less of a scary thing. It was almost heroic because you got a lot of respect. Oh, you're going to be a missionary. Aren't you awesome? You are so – wish I had your heart. Wish I – and I'm like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess you do. Uh, uh, I, I guess you should have my excellent soft heart. Um, when people give you praise, uh, it can kind of uh, – Sometimes be good and sometimes not be good. Uh, our church was very mission-minded. Missionaries were very respected. Um, a lot of members in our congregation in Boston at that time wanted to be uh, on mission teams. They wanted to. There, there was almost a race. What cities can you target? Uh, who can target what? There, you know, and, and, and who can target what city, what country? I want to go to that place. It became almost uh, cool in our church culture at the time. But the scary thing was I never intended on coming back to the United States. I really didn't. I planned on being there. And I have several of our friends that are still there that, that were Americans uh, who, um, who left, and they're still in Germany. And some of my closest friends are still there. And um, so it, it really was the thing that I'm not just going for a couple of years. This is, this is really it. I'm, I'm leaving my culture permanently the culture that I feel comfortable in. So what challenges did I face? I knew it would be a challenge, but it was much more difficult than I expected. Um, I thought I was fluent, and it turns out um, I really, at the end of the day, my grammar and my uh, vocabulary were very wanting. Um, I was, uh, you know, Karen would like to say I spoke like a five-year-old. I'd like to say maybe like a ten-year-old. My accent was perfect, though, and so that was very confusing for people. He speaks German with a perfectly fluent, he must be German, and he, maybe he's stupid? I, I don't know. He seems to have a good heart, but he speaks like a child, and maybe this is what Jesus meant when he said become like a child. 
I try to keep up uh, with my friends in the States. And keep in mind, this is 15 years before Facebook. This is uh, five years before email. So there was letters and there was long-distance phone calls. And if you guys ever, I don't know, long-distance phone calls don't mean a thing to the WhatsApp community here. But to back in the day when you're like, gosh, do I really want to spend $50 to call my friend for 30 minutes in another country? Sure, I do. Tomorrow. Uh, sure, I'll, next week I'll get to that. Um, so here it is. Uh, I don't think even uh, many of my friends realized how lonely it gets out in, uh, you know, when you're, you're in a different culture. So I was, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm not really German, but I'm not really American either. You know, people, the Americanisms that some of you have grown up with and even some of the TV shows as a child, whatever, I, I didn't experience that, but I also d- didn't fully experience the German uh, culture either because I was kind of halfway between. Um, I didn't think sacrificing my culture would be that difficult. Uh, but we take these things for granted, these tailwinds uh, that we that we have. In 1999, my mom gave me an international subscription to Sports Illustrated, and that was like a breath of fresh air. You know, they're, they're, they have a section called Faces in the Crowd. You know, what some teenager, awesome teenager did, you know, running a race in, in Oregon. I was reading that. I was devouring every inch of that Sports Illustrated magazine because I wanted a little bit of the culture that I was familiar with, uh, in the States, almost everybody at that time who I'd been around believed in God, at least. Um, and uh, in, in Berlin, uh, 1% of the people in Berlin go to church. 1%. Uh, maybe 10% believe in God. Maybe 2% believe in the Bible. So it was very different from the places that I had lived, um, where maybe they might not have been our brand of Christianity, or Jesus' brand of Christianity even, but they definitely, um, it was just very, very different. So I learned to talk not about my church. I learned to not say, hey, I want to invite you to my church, because that meant nothing positive to anyone. I had to learn to talk about uh, the difficulties of my life and how Jesus and God and the scriptures, the ancient wisdom, had helped me to change to be satisfied, to be happy, to overcome, to deal with things, to deal with my issues. And there were other more uh, dramatic challenges that Karen and I faced uh, with uh, just pretty heavy stuff that we also encountered. Um, And there were many times where I questioned God, where I really felt like either cussing at God, angry at God, um, this isn't fair, Psalm 73 kind of stuff. Um, and uh, his wisdom. So I'm going to continue in a couple of minutes. I'm going to let Karen share her experience. Well, that missionary got blessed with a German wife. So my name is Karen Shaw. I was uh, born and raised in Germany on a ranch with a strictly Catholic upbringing. My initial understanding of the term missionary was pretty much in line with what you'll find in a dictionary, where it reads, one cent to do religious or charitable work in a foreign country. Well, in that sense, my accent gives it away. I'm your modern-day missionary on American soil. All joking aside, my own experience was rather the opposite of the traditional definition. I had become a Christian while on a six-month internship uh, with a bank in Toronto, And after returning from um, 
Canada, I was part of the Paris Church because I pursued business studies there. And um, the church there had just started a year before I got there, and there were about 40 people, quite a few of them Americans, and I quickly understood that many of them had given up careers and homes to actually be there, and, uh, you know, so that I could be uh, a member of that church as well. And throughout my own conversion, I had realized that the traditions I grew up with, um, although they were an important part of my life, but they really faded and were empty in comparison to what I had learned about God and the Bible and faith when I started actually engaging and, and, and reading the Bible. So I was highly motivated back in Europe to share my new convictions with my fellow Europeans and uh, tell everybody, if you have questions, there are answers. Just seek and you will find but the term missionary really became personal to me uh, only in 1991 when I was asked if I would like to join the church planting in Berlin. I had finished my stu business studies and since worked in a trading room stock exchange environment on the Champs-Élysées next to the Arc de Triomphe, and my parents couldn't have been prouder. Um, for me, joining a mission team actually meant not going abroad, but going home. And I really wrestled with uh, the decision, but I also felt a sense of calling. And it turns out it really was one of the most life-altering decisions that I've made in my life. Uh, Mark and I ended up working full-time as employees of the church there in the first uh, three and a half years. Uh, we got married there. Both of our children were born there. And we still call it home since we've lived there for 14 years. And I will say that the term missionary to me sounds kind of maybe, you know, like out there, but really it's all about relationships for me. And uh, I'm so happy to return to Germany every year and uh, stay in close contact with my uh, friends there. In fact, our boys, Tim and David, 21 and 16, have attended teen camps there uh, for the last 10 years and, and wouldn't miss it for, um, for anything. Tim even became a Christian in Berlin uh, a year and a half ago, and he's lived there for three years now. And what's cool for us is to see that some of his best friends are actually the children of our friends, of people we had started, um, we had helped to find God, people we studied the Bible with, um, you know, some 25 years ago. So that's really rewarding and, and great. And looking at my own experience, I would define mission work almost like, you know, it's the adventure in your faith. And I'm always curious where this faith journey will lead me. I would say that being on a mission simply means to be a messenger, uh, someone who cannot help but share about their relationship with God, someone who is willing to listen to the nudges of the Spirit. Like we were singing, uh, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. If that's your prayer, you will discover the mission uh, right around you. And the missionary is someone who values their faith more than their comfort. And that's something I really felt and wrestled with when I moved from France after four years there back to Germany. And um, leaving the comfort zone can be taken literally or not, but it always comes at a price. A sacrifice of time, talent, and yes, treasure too. But it always means stepping out is, is, a, is an act of faith. And um, 
it still remains the most rewarding part of my Christian faith. I will say that uh, being a missionary is not just true abroad. It really is true if you feel the urge to share your faith with a stranger or if, if you feel, feel compelled to encourage a brother or a sister, you're a missionary. And that is true abroad and just as true in Santa Monica, Mar Vista, Inglewood, Culver City, you name it. And um, when I'm most in tune with God, I think I feel and I own my role as a missionary. And I leave you with a quote that challenged and inspired me this week. And it's food for thought in the context of uh, being a missionary. And it goes like, everything great you ever wanted is just one step outside of your comfort zone. See, my father had moved to Germany and met a German woman, and how wise he was. Um, all right, so thanks, Karen. Really great sharing. Um, Jesus was the ultimate missionary. He left his family, his heavenly father and the Holy Spirit, and he came to this place, which today is really beautiful. But maybe not always. He left the comfortable. He left his comfort zone. He left the familiar and ventured into the unknown. That's what I love about the story of Abraham. He just ventured into the unknown because God said, do it. He left a place with no temptations. Hanging out with God and the angels. To a place flooded, filled with temptations. He left a place filled with love for a place where the culture was very different. Where the culture broke people into classes. He left for a place that didn't include giving people second chances. He left for a place filled with sexism, racism, classism, and the like. He left for a place filled with accusation. He left for a life filled with labeling, being labeled, being mistrusted, people talking behind your back. He left for a place where people twisted the truth. Who wants to live there? Jesus went there. That's what he did. A place where there was no sense of equality. He went there. He became part of the judged and the accused and the misunderstood. He left a place with predictable outcomes for a daily surprise package of garbage. Maybe some good stuff. You know those Amazon packages? I guess you can just order a surprise. Who knows what's in there? I guess what people return, I don't know. I've never done it. But you see people do it, and there's just a box, and you're like, I paid a bunch of money for this, a bunch of surprises. And the surprises you face when you go from heaven to earth may not be even as nice as the Amazon packages. You know, when you wake up in the morning and you go, what curveballs, what never-before-seen surprises am I going to face today? So let's read Mark chapter 5 real quick, verses 1 through 20. Jesus and the twelve, starting in verse 5, 
went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, I just want you to think for a second here. This lake was big, 13 miles from top to bottom, 8 miles across. So that's a long, just the 8 miles would be going on your bicycle or going on foot from uh, Dockweiler Beach or where, where, what's, the, what's the baptism beach where we have here in Mar, whatever, Playa? Right. So going, walking from there all the way down to Redondo Beach, that's the width. So think about an avocado with the skinny part down here and the big, that's, that's Galilee. And so crossing over is what they did on the eight miles. That's a long distance. And they went to a place where the culture was very different. On the other side, not the, not the Jewish side. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't. Torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Skip down to verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your people. Be a missionary. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. You see here, Jesus did what no rabbi had done for hundreds of years. He went to the region of the Gerasenes, the Decapolis. I just looked up pictures. Uh, Archaeologists have discovered uh, mosaics with large pictures of pigs. In fact, even the the the, 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 uh, the military, the Roman military there, that was their symbol, uh, was pigs. A wild boar, in fact. He went there to preach to people who were different, who had a completely different cultural understanding and framework, to convert the non-churchgoers, to preach to the Jews, uh, to preach to those who the Jews saw as unopen, unconvertible, they're not ready. They're not going to get it. To go to a place where pigs were the standard part of life, which is kind of crazy for a Jewish person. And I find this encounter to be very symbolic. What did Jesus expect? Maybe he thought, oh, we'll encounter maybe another woman at the well. I can speak with her about her relationships and she could go back. Uh, maybe we'll meet a, an open-minded uh, Roman soldier. Maybe that's how we'll do it. 
Maybe uh, we'll have a we'll meet a soft-hearted pig farmer, and he'll convert, and then he'll go tell people. But he did not expect a freak. This guy's a freak. So you know you you, you keep thinking God is letting me experience this stuff, and it ain't going to get worse. It can't get worse. And here comes the freak. This guy's naked, full of scars, got freaky strength. He seems crazy. And some of us today might call him schizophrenic or bipolar. Got too much going on in there. No one knows how to handle this guy. Again, a freaky experience that Jesus had never before encountered. And he turns the ultimate pagan into the next missionary. See, no one is beyond being influenced by Jesus. And what really influenced him was the love, the kindness, as Reese had spoken a couple of weeks ago, the fact that he asked, you know, what is your name? See, he spoke to the demons first in verse 8, and then he spoke to the man. He separated the sin from the sinner. I have a hard time with that. But Jesus did that. It was his love and kindness that fixed and healed the heart. Jesus sees the man, not the risk. Jesus sees the future disciple, not just the current freaky weirdo. Look at what Jesus had been saying. So Jesus punishes the demons, but he loves the man. And in the end, he gives him one challenge. He says, tell others about how good God has been to you. And isn't that what evangelism simply is? Telling others about how good God has been to you. I think we're going to sing that song here in a little bit. He's good to me. If I really believe that God has been so good to me, that's evangelism. That's what's going to happen. The challenge is never to say to yourself, I should be evangelizing more. Gosh, I didn't get out this week and didn't invite enough people. Didn't call that guy back. Didn't open my mouth enough. Not bold enough. That's not the challenge. Instead, the call is always to just be aware of how good God has been to you. Because then it's natural. Then it's organic. Then it comes from your heart. you got nothing to feel bad about, nothing to apologize for. It's not fake in any way. It's you. You really honestly believe my life was not good. And it's good now. It's so good. I was scarred. My life is so good. I don't deserve what I got. Look at what else happens. Jesus sends out thousands of demons from this man. And isn't that the real definition of a missionary? Going to a place where there's lots of demons, a place where Jesus is not respected, he's not understood, people don't get him. You're like, it's not that difficult to get. Just start reading the Bible, you'll get it. People don't get it. They don't want to get it. They're too busy. On the west side, they got too much money. Too much of everything you want. All sitting on your iPhone. Too much entertainment. Everything you need. Who needs anything more? What does a missionary do? He goes to the uncomfortable and unfamiliar and heals and inspires. So being a missionary is less about the location you go to and more about you 
leaving your comfort zone in order to go into the unknown, in order to be willing to face even the freaky stuff that is intimidating and scary and that everyone else is freaked out about and no one else can handle. And you may not be ready to handle all that yet. That's why you have quiet times, to get yourself ready, to get yourself to a point where you can care and forgive and listen and love and believe that freaks like this guy can become followers, humble missionaries themselves. So we're going to take the communion right now. And I want you just to think about Jesus. He says, remember me in Luke 22. And as we pray, take the bread and drink the cup. Don't think about me or my wife. Think about Jesus and really how awesome he was and how good he is, how good he's been to you. If you don't think he's been good to you, or you're not sure how good he's been to you, well, that's the core of it. That's the basic. That's the foundation. Get clear on that. And once you get clear on that, everything else makes sense. That's the first step. Let's pray. Dear Father, thanks for sending Jesus to us. Thanks for leaving the comfortable, leaving the loving, the kindness, the trust to come to a place that is sometimes good and sometimes not so good. We are so thankful that you have been good to us, that you've treated us better than we deserve. We know we have our strengths and we have our weaknesses, and you cast out the demons, but you talk to us like adults. You love us, you listen, and you separate us from our demons. Thank you for how you treat us, and we really pray that we can gain that heart and treat other people like you have treated us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark and Karen, thank you so much for sharing powerfully about your mission experiences and Jesus being the ultimate missionary. It's an inspiration. Thank you for being a part of the West Side Mission for many years here. We're grateful for both of you. And uh, I want to begin today uh, letting all of you know that you are all a part of a worldwide movement. I know you might live here on the west side, and you might think, hey, I go to UCA or Pepperdine or Santa Monica, or I've been working in this area, uh, but you're a part of more than just the west side of Los Angeles, although I love this area, and we have a lot of work to do helping this part of the world find Jesus, amen? But we're a part of something much bigger, and I hope you see our table up front. Uh, the, the cities and, and countries that are up there are the names of countries that we actually support with our missional work. Many of us have been to these countries. Uh, I'm, my hope is that many of us will get to still go to them again. And we have a plan to change this world in the generations of ours on earth today. And we're so grateful for our younger generation. And we want to impart this dream that we've got to think much bigger. We have to have a worldwide mindset. And that's what our missions is all about. Today we're gathering as a West Side and all of you at home, we're gathering. It's our annual missions offering. And I'm so grateful to be a part of something bigger than myself. And I want to read a few verses, just set a tone of really God's heart. And then we're going to bring up another couple who have been, you know, heroic missionaries in Asia and are also now part of the West Side. We'll bring them up in a moment. 
But I want to read 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 24, and you can follow along. These verses are on the screen. Uh, you should see them at home as well. It says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. That's Old Testament, right? That's Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1, he says, my name will be great among the nations. And then 400 years passes, and then you have Jesus on the scene. And he says, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations in Mark chapter 13. And we also all are aware of the Great Commission from Matthew 28, verse 19, that says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. You see, God has always had a heart for not just the Jewish people that he chose in the Old Testament, but he has had a heart that through his interaction with the Jewish history and then through the uh, advent of Jesus on earth and his uh, incarnation and brought to all of us this message of hope, we now have a worldwide mission that we are a part of. Amen. And West Side, you need to be proud of how much you have done over the years in all our mission fields. You have made a tremendous difference. We're one of the primary missional supporters of the Middle East, and you always have been, Westside. And uh, I want to make sure that you understand this year was one of the most, or the past 12 months, one of the most traumatic in the history of our, of our church in Lebanon. And yet your support, both financially and emotionally, allowed this year, even in spite of the bombing that took place at the end of last year, the explosion that happened, it wasn't an external source. It was a bomb that went off in the country because of negligence by their government, destroyed some of their nicest areas. But here's the thing. God worked so powerfully in Lebanon. They've had the most fruitful 12 months that they have ever had. The church has grown to nearly 100. It had been around 60, 70 for years and years and years. And this had an explosion, I believe, of faith. And that faith starts because they know they are not alone in the mission to 680 million people in our Arabic countries. We have 680 in all our 16 churches in the Middle East. And you have been a primary supporter of that mission field. And I want to hand it to the West Side. Great job. God is working powerfully. To highlight how powerful missions is and how we really are a worldwide missional church, I want to bring in right now a great couple that have done mission work. They're tremendous servants here in the West Side, and that's Dat and Natalie Doe. Let's welcome them. Good morning. My name's Natalie Doe. Hmm, my missionary journey story, where do I begin? There's so many stories and insights. Perhaps I should start with my family background. Some of you may not be aware of how I grew up. I am the youngest of 10 children. Yes, 10. Grew up in Hong Kong in a shoebox-sized apartment. 12 people in a, in a shoebox-sized apartment. I was living under the British colonial systems of government and schools. And as a young child... I heard stories of Japanese killing, raping, and torturing Chinese in different wars. I heard stories about Vietnamese refugee camps taking over and causing troubles in Hong Kong. I was not very fond of Vietnamese or Japanese because of the way that I was brought up. I was always taught that people of Hong Kong, like me, are superior Asians because we have the long history and culture of Chinese. 
but we also speak the Queen's English, and we have the open minds of the West being a British colony. And I was fortunate that my family had enough money to send me to study abroad. Of all places, I ended up in Portland State University in Oregon. I was the first baptism in that church in the campus ministry in 1991. Now you know why God sent me there. I was always mission, very, very missionary mindset, and I thought for sure, like what Mark said, you know, you're German, you get sent back to Germany. I'm Chinese, I should be sent back to Hong Kong, but they didn't want me. That opportunity never came. I was like, send me to China. I speak Mandarin, but that just never came. And then after after graduation, I started working for、um, marketing for Doc Martens. You know, in the 90s, marketing Doc Martens—that's like the coolest job ever. And then I was asked to move to Japan, Tokyo, Japan, to help build the international ministry. I was like, I'm not Japanese. I don't speak Japanese. I don't even like Japanese. In the way I was brought up, why? And you know, I struggled with that question, and then I realized, you know what? I did say I'll go anywhere and do anything for God. So, Japanese are people. I'm gonna make Japanese my people. So I went. It's not until I told my family about the move that I was reminded of my prejudice towards Japanese. My family reminded me that even until today. I spent four years in Tokyo to help serve in the international ministry. I learned Japanese and lived like a Japanese. Made very special friendships that last forever, and those friends are literally around the world. And even then, God blessed me with a great career in Tokyo while I was serving the church. Now, several years went by. Then that man came along. That was a full package. You date and marry him, go into the ministry, and move to Vietnam. That's it. And again, not until I told my family about Dad marrying a Vietnamese and moving to Vietnam, I was reminded of my prejudice towards Vietnamese. See, God's playing a mind trick on me, not once but twice. It was a very humbling experience from the beginning because I was the only non-Vietnamese in the church. I was the only foreigner. I was targeted by the political and cultural police. I was in the, under the risk of being arrested any time, and you know. Everywhere I went, someone had to translate Vietnamese for me. That's why I learned the language so quickly because I was so annoyed that I had to be someone had to be with me all the time translating. I learned Vietnamese. I lived like a Vietnamese. The tropical monsoon climate, the tough living condition—I mean, the rats, the roaches, and the bugs. Sometimes when I hear people say I have, I have a roach problem, I'm like, No, you don't. Uh-uh. Not until you hear mine. Being the women's leaders. Of an underground church was no small task, and we had to hold full-time secular jobs at the same time so we can get visas to stay there. I learned the power of relying on God, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the magic of hospitality. And that means lots of cooking and lots of baking, and more cooking and more baking. The only way to build the church in Vietnam was to pour myself out as a servant. That was it. It's been 18 years since we left the mission field, but we have kept up with a lot of the great relationships throughout Asia and around the world, especially Vietnam. We have never stopped our missionary support. Never stopped. 
We continue to work with the church there on a regular basis for ministry, staff, and leaders' development, finances, and other issues. As I look back on my missionary journeys, God put me exactly where I needed to be and helped me love way beyond my comfort zone. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dat Doe. Um, now, if you're a young Christian, you're fearless, you're a recent college graduate um, with a God-given talent for teaching and converting people, you know, then you just can't help but to feel the excitement and to be hyper excited about joining a worldwide movement that is hell-bent on changing the world for Jesus. And I was no exception to that. In 1994, that's when I, upon graduating from college, decided to join the mission team to Vietnam. Now, if you are a disciple who's good-hearted, a good-natured person, who is humble, selfless, kind, loving, caring, uh, obedient, principled, and faithful, then you are the ideal candidate for missionary work. Um, someone like Natalie would be that ideal candidate. And God's kingdom is always looking for a few good women and men like that. Unfortunately, I met none of those criteria. Oh, okay, maybe one. I was, I was known to be very faithful. And I don't mean the kind of faith where it's about high fidelity or loyalty. I mean the kind of faith where I just had this, in, this intense belief. Some might call it uh, a rigid belief that God will come through and that miracles will be seen. That, that was pretty much all I had. Um, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, and due to time constraint, I'm going to just kind of selectively read a few of the lines there. Paul says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition. Then I'll skip to verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So go, I'm going to rewind to 30 years ago when Todd Spath counted the cost with me as I was making a decision to become a Christian. That was in, uh, the Oct uh, in October 1990. He asked me if I was willing to give up everything, go anywhere, and do anything for Jesus, including returning to Vietnam, the country from which uh, I was born and, and had left. And I won't get into the more background. If, if I had more time, I could tell you more about the, the, you know, the background from which uh, I came and how I came to America and, and my family's background there. But needless to say, I was reluctant to accept that challenge, but ultimately I did agree, and that's how I became a Christian. Fast forward four years later, the Vietnam mission team was being assembled here in L.A., and a Vietnamese sister on campus at UCLA, was uh, she was excited. She was gung-ho to interview for a spot. Now, several thoughts flashed through my mind at the time. First, this sister has no business going to Vietnam because she doesn't speak the language coherently. Second, I had told Todd 
that someday if I hear God's calling, I'll respond. And now that the calling's there, what would people think of me if I didn't, you know, take on the challenge and go? Would they think of me as a quitter? A liar? No, I, I can't let that happen. Right? And third, this mission team really needs me. Um, we had heard that many previous mission teams to Moscow, for example, or the Philippines or Cambodia, that those mission teams blew it out. First Sunday, they boasted several hundred visitors, up to thousands of visitors. And the first year, they baptized several hundred people. Um, and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be awesome if I went and was able to bring four or five hundred visitors by myself? You know, that kind of heroic tale would be told throughout the universe and it would echo through the halls of heaven for eternity. Again, you know, going back to scripture, preach Christ out of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition and uh, false motives. Um, so why does the Apostle Paul here, the most prolific missionary in human history, why would he rejoice just by the fact that Christ is preached? That just seems like a low standard, doesn't it? It just seems like he's settling for less. Wouldn't you want someone who would go and preach God, uh, someone who, is, who, who would preach it in the right manner by a righteous person with the right motives? Wouldn't that be the ideal candidate? Well, does, does Paul suffer from some kind of low self-esteem and therefore he holds such low standards? Is that what he struggled with? I don't think so. Perhaps, he, perhaps Paul knows something that many of us don't. I think this is what happens. Paul looks at himself and his own conversion story. And he realizes that he was a mess. He was a wreck. That he had all the identities of what the scripture talked about. The selfish ambition, the envy, the rivalry, the false motives. And somehow God was able to change him. He figures there's got to be more of him out there. The one thing, though, that um, I look back and I go, you know, Paul knows something that I finally learned after maybe 10 or 12 years of being a Christian. That God always wins. He always wins. As long as you're scrappy, as long as you don't give up, as long as you don't quit as a Christian, and as long as you don't fall away from the Lord. As, if you're scrappy, God will win. And, you know, I always thought I was there to change the world. In hindsight, you know what I realized? I wasn't there to change the world. I was actually in God's workshop. He was the sculptor. And what he wanted me to do is stay in his workshop so that he can shape me, mold me, sculpt me, chisel, uses chisels and hammer and hammer me out. After nearly 10 years, I think I'm a better Christian today than I was <laughs> at the time I left. And, you know, I don't have all the time today to share with you all the discipline that I received from the Lord throughout that time. And I wish I could tell you, and many of you, if you like pain and suffering, you'll love to hear some of these stories. But anyways, I want to end here. Thank you so much.
Great to hear from uh, Dat and Natalie. Thank you. Great job, guys. Uh, it's inspira- inspiring to hear the heart, the, uh, even though the motives weren't always right, right? Uh, God used them powerfully and continues to use them powerfully, and he will use you powerfully. Today, we are giving our missions offering because we are all missionaries on a worldwide mission. Now, many of us, we simply need to stay where we are and evangelize our neighborhoods. But we're not a part of only our neighborhoods. We are a part of an integrated family across the world. 700 churches exist in our International Church of Christ Fellowship. Over 150 nations that you are a part of. How many of us have been to one of our churches outside the United States? Raise your hand. Wow. Almost almost 70% of us. It's so exciting to know that we have churches and we're going to continue to plant new churches. You know, in Lebanon, they just recently planted a church in a town called Byblos. Many say it's the oldest city uh, in ancient uh, uh, Lebanon. It's, it's a small little town, beautiful little town. If you get to go over to Lebanon and visit the town of Byblos, they planted a small Bible talk church there, and they've already had a baptism in that church right there in the Mediterranean Sea, which is awesome. Westside, you are a part of that kind of advance. Now, we are going to advance here on the west side, but I don't want to ever forget what we're a part of. So before we give, I want to make two simple points, and they'll be very quickly. Number one is simply this. Offer yourself. It's about your heart. It's about your passion. It's about what God has done for you. And I picked a passage from Second Chronicles uh, chapter 29, verse 31, where King Hezekiah, they had consecrated the whole nation. They'd been a mess in the nation, and he called them to repent. And he says, you have now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. In an agrarian society, burnt offerings were very, very valuable. They're an offering up to God of an animal, and of course, in that culture, that's that's a lot of money, and quite honestly, when they're giving animals to sacrifice to God and sacrificing them on the altar, they're giving up actual resources that they would use for life and trade. And I took a quick look down in verse 33. I have it on the wall it said, or on the screen. It says, the animals consecrated as sacrifices amounted to 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep and goats. In the time of Hezekiah, about 700 A.D., I want to give you an idea of what that is. If you if you equate, I looked up a cost of a good bull today, right? A good bull that you could buy on the market, one that could maybe, uh, you know, obviously sire other bulls. Um, approximately forty five hundred dollars for a bull. So you multiply that out times six hundred. That's two point seven million that they gave in an offering to God back in Hezekiah's time. Sheep and goats today maybe average around two hundred and fifty bucks for a good sheep or goat today. 3,000 of them, that's $750,000 worth of animals that they gave up to God that day. And I just want to put before you, when we give our hearts to God, it does come out in an incredible, beneficial sacrifice to change lives. Our offering does change lives in these cities. This very church right here that you are in was planted by missions offerings from Boston and San Diego and San Francisco, and people coming here to plant a church. Let's never forget where we've come from and what we are a part of. 
We are to offer our heart and offer ourselves. And the last thing I want to encourage you is to give to the vision, the vision of a worldwide movement, a vision of not just a 100,000 disciples, but a million and 10 million maybe. How big is your dream? The vision of not just our worldwide movement of what we're connected to, but our local movement as well. Because we have all nations right here in the west side. We have people from countries all over the west side who live right here in our part of the country. And many of those, like the Shahs or like the Doe's, will feel inspired and called to go back as missionaries and certainly to give and visit. And I want to put before you, this summer there is a Singles Hope uh, Hope Youth Corps, or Singles Corps they're calling it, in Lebanon. And part of the money that we give goes to the mission fund for the Middle East, and some of that money set aside for scholarships. I'd love to see some of our singles apply to the August Singles Corps in Lebanon to help rebuild parts of those cities that were destroyed by the explosion. Church, let's not forget what we're a part of. Give yourself and give to this vision. The vision is bigger than you can ever possibly imagine. At this time, we're gonna, we're, in a moment here, I'm going to bring Mark Shump up, our elder. He's going to pray for our, our missions offering. But what I realized is usually now with the days of technology, we always give online. If you're at home, you type in your phone or you hit the text to give and we give. But I really want to ask for those of you at home at this time when we pray to really pray and meditate on what it is you have given through our online options. But if you're here in person, I want all of us to participate in the act of giving. Now, whether you've already given or you're not going to specifically give today, you're waiting or you're preparing, we've made little cards up that really can be used as for you as a pledge and a calling to God to thank him for the privilege of giving. And what I want to ask is for everyone to take one of the little cards. Ushers, if you could come on down and make sure everyone has one of the pledge cards because what we're going to do after the prayer is I'm going to ask everyone to come up. I've already given mine. I gave mine online. So I'm going to write on the card how much I gave, and then I'm going to say a special prayer right before I drop it in the box. But there's something to the act of getting up and saying, this is done in gratitude and worship of you, God. And whether it's $1 or $10,000, God's looking and he wants simply your heart and your dream for the vision. So you can, you can certainly give something and I want you to participate. So what we're going to do is as I, in a moment, I'm going to bring Mark up and I'm going to want, and we're going to play some music. And then I want this side, you just to come on up and you just come up when the spirit prompts you and put it in this box. And from this side, you come on up and put it in this box. And I want everyone to participate. Whether you've given already or you're going to give later in the month, we do take up our special missions throughout the month of June to hit our ultimate goal. And church, this church has always come through with this goal. I'm very proud of you, and I'm certain God will do it again. So at this time, I'd like to bring up our elder, Mark Shump, and make sure you get your little card from the uh, usher so you can write down your amount and come up and participate in this act of worship. Let's go go ahead and bow our heads prayer. Father, we uh, we know that uh, that there's a lot of people who need you. God, we we needed you so badly, and we we're so grateful the way you sent people, uh, sometimes just one person into our life to invite us to sit down to open up the Scripture, so that we could get to know you in a real way and get to know your Son, who saved us. Thank you so very much for that moment in time when all of us were 
were touched in that special, unique way. God, thank you for the effort that 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 person or that people or that church made to reach us. God, we know that uh, as you watch us uh, give our money, uh, it probably reminds you of of when your son uh, needed to to feed some people that wanted to stay and continue to listen to him and how the disciples were a bit befuddled that they didn't know how to how to feed and take care of them. God, we know that uh, that they found a, a young boy with uh, some bread and some fish and uh, they brought it to you and God, you divided it. God, your son just decided to break it and break it and break it and break it and it multiplied. God, we just ask you that you would take whatever we give to you today and uh, you would just multiply it to reach perhaps the 480 million people that live in Scandinavia, Mexico, and Central America, and in the Middle East. God, that you would uh, use the brothers and sisters that live there, and you would take these 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 loaves of bread, this this money that we have that we want to give back to you, and and you would multiply it. You would help us to continue to see your word spread uh, throughout these areas. Thank you so much for. All that you give to us, God, we know we are so rich. We're so wealthy in comparison to the world. And uh, what we give back to you is is nothing in comparison to what you've already given to us, which we consider our salvation to be the greatest gift that we have. We want that for others. And it's in that spirit that we give this contribution now. We love you so very much, God. Thank you for looking out for us, for knowing our name, and for the names of those 480 million people that need you. Thank you again. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.